I am Plant on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. The award-winning poet Rob Taylor joins me now. He has just published a new collection of poetry, Strangers. We'll discuss it, the themes therein, and how he writes. The book has poems that consider grief, death, love, memory, pests, the outdoors, and more. I'll ask Rob about his poetry uh, and the vast archive of interviews he's done interviewing uh, other poets and artists, which can be found on his website, RobLucasTaylor.com. Rob Taylor's previous poetry collections include Oh Not So Great, Poems from the Depression Project, The News, and The Other Side of Ourselves. He edited uh, What the Poets Are Doing, Canadian Poets in Conversation. He teaches creative writing online at Simon Fraser University and uh, joined me from Port Moody, British Columbia, late last week. This new book is published by Biblioasis. Please uh, welcome to the Plant Online program, Rob Taylor. Mr. Taylor, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, I uh, found a lot to think about as I was reading Strangers. Um, I, I guess the, the, the uh, first question to ask is, is um, wh- why the title Strangers? Because the, you, you write about people you know. You write about you know um, these feelings that you have about places and, and, and things and, and, and people. Um, I was curious to know why you chose the word Strangers to, to make that the title. Well, as you say, the book's about family, so it is odd to call it strangers, but it's also about um, the boundaries of family, right, and, and how you can move those, those out or in to include or, or to, to lose people from the edges of that. So I think because it was concerned with the, the edges of what a family is and, and these questions of can people you've never met but whose writing has profoundly impacted you and worked its way into how you think about you, yourself and your family, can you think of including those people within your family? And then, because it also deals with death and dementia and loss of various kinds, just the idea of, uh, not that these people would be in many ways outside of your family, but of losing people from that active um, core part of your family. So uh, it, 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 it just felt natural. There's a poem that is named after that, and it felt like it was, I was more interested in talking about the edges of family than the middle of the family, in a sense. So, Yeah. Well, that makes sense now to me. Um, but uh, when you do talk about um, uh, these people or, or people that you, you've lost in, over the years, um, writing about loss, does, it, does writing about it, does it help deal with it, say? Uh, absolutely. Um, I write poems to try to uh, process and work through my own experiences, um, you know, be they positive or negative. But, I'll, but with, with the losses that I've experienced, as anyone does over time, um, yeah, they sit with you, and you have to try to figure out what to make of them and what to do with these feelings that are in you. And I luckily learned a long time ago from a number of writers I would admire that it's completely fine if there are things that haunt you or things that you can't shake from your mind to let those you know, let those obsessions be obsessions in your writing, too. So I wrote this book over a decade, and in that time I lost my two half-brothers, and uh, and my father had died previous to that, but I was still, of course, processing that. And I just I just was already in a place where I was comfortable saying, I'm going to write and write and write about these themes uh, and these uh, events that happened in my life and, and try to make sense of them as best I can. Yeah, making sense of, of, of what's happening... Um, is always useful, 
um, what is it like then to to talk about something that you know that, that for for a lot of people is largely a taboo? I mean, we, we I guess we don't like to talk about death, because, you know, out of luck maybe or or um, just um, discomfort at the idea of death. Um, you write about it in your poetry. Is it? I guess it is deliberate in, in terms of um, having to process what it's like when death visits, you know, one's life. Um, I guess it, all the thinking about it never really prepares you, does it? No, I don't think it does. Um, I was luckily positioned in the sense my father was a United Church minister, and he worked in palliative care. He worked in... Mm death with dignity spaces so even though he died when i was 11 you know i was part of conversations about the importance of saying the word death and not saying passed away and not you know not not that these are bad to say but not sure. trying to avoid the reality of what's happening right yeah. but being honest about it so that was a thing in my life that my father taught me before he died and i then had to apply and and uh and work through those things myself so there's that and then there's also just years and years of being a writer and especially after my first book came out, I was, you know, you're nervous about writing about hard subjects and what people are going to think and what people are going to assume about your life from these things. And after my first book came out, I realized people are going to think whatever the heck they're going to think about what I write. You know, I can't really control those those kinds of things, and uh -huh. I can't really protect uh, a real self versus, you know, the person who wrote the poems or any of that kind of stuff. So I just need to write the poems that are the most vital to me and I'd be as honest and open as possible in that process. And then whatever people think about it is what they think about it, and that's part of the journey of reading a book of poetry, and that's part of the journey of those people processing their grief, you know. So over a time with that, with both those elements, I just, uh, you know, I became fairly liberated in terms of not, not feeling at all restrained to talk about those things or go to those darker or more difficult places, I guess. It's been a year or so of, of loss for a lot of people, and and um, I guess this book comes out at a at a, an appropriate time in terms of of um, people I guess finding some comfort in, in in some of the poems in your in in your in your book. Um, do you see that sort of usefulness as as as, as a good thing, perhaps? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, that's wonderful if the book can provide any kind of comfort for people. I find poetry to be the most companionable of, of genres, you know, of writing in, in terms of it being a form that kind of embodies another human spirit, right? And um, poetry's full of rhythms, poetry's full of odd, can, sometimes confusing on the surface movements that, that to me work much the same way as the way our bodies work and our minds think. And when you connect with a poem, to me... Um, you know, there's this direct current running between you and that author in a way that doesn't necessarily happen in other genres. And it's not to say that other genres can't captivate or inform, but there's that really sharp bodily connection, I think, that can happen um, when you really connect with a poem. And I found that so important this year when, you know, we haven't been seeing as many real people in the flesh. Yeah, yeah. Um, being able to reach out to poetry and, and feel like another full human being is over there and thinking about things that are similar to the things I'm thinking about, um, that means a lot to me. You know, So that's a theme within the book, but it's also something that I hope is enacted outside of the book when people uh, pick it up and read it. It's, poetry is more portable, too, than, say, a novel or, or a book of fiction. Well, you um, can slip them both in your pocket, but uh, yeah. 
Yeah, well, and you can also have the experience in smaller moments, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I worked on a project a few years ago that was designed to enhance empathy in doctors, and um, the doctors involved in the project came to me because I was a poet because they said, you know, doctors don't have time in their life to sit down and read a memoir or a novel on on, <laughs> on a theme, right? They have they have five minutes between uh, between appointments or whatever it might be, and so can we give them something that will give them a little shot of empathy and a little reminder of the, you know, the human that's going to come in on the other side of a patient doctor interaction, and uh, and so that made sense to me that um, that that is a space we can have that even if your life is really busy and full and noisy as many people's lives have gotten, especially people, I have two kids right now, and have, with the pandemic and the lockdown, it's like you don't have a second to think for yourself. Yeah. Um, and so if you can even find a few minutes in a day to reconnect, to, um, to have a moment of quiet in your life and, and a moment of connection with somebody who isn't in your immediate life, um, I think that's really valuable, yeah. There are a lot of poems in the book that, um, you know, that, that you, um, as a reader, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of quick in terms of, of reading, but uh, th- there were poems that I went back and reread because I, I found either something that um, I didn't see the first time or there was something qu- quite beautiful that I wanted to, to look back on. Like There's, there's, a, there's a line in, in one of the poems um, where you talk about reading a poem about the dead and you say that um, they are very far yet very close. And I can't tell you... Um, how many minutes I've spent thinking about that or, or going back to it a couple of days later. Um, because I think that says it all. I mean, um, at the same time, though, if, if I had to explain what that meant to somebody listening, um, I don't think I could, you know, there isn't enough time this afternoon or this morning to, 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 to explain that to someone, you know? Yeah. Well, I think, um, and for me, that poem was inspired by a similar experience I had reading another poem about death by mm. another writer, and I was kind of responding back to that. And that's, to me, part of what's special about poetry is that each reader's experience is unique. You know, there's enough space in a poem, there's enough unexplainable that you couldn't summarize for someone else that's going on in there that you can fill that with your own meaning and your own life experience. Um, not everyone's going to have my experience of death and life, which became very intertwined when my brothers were dying and my son was being born and all these things were happening at once, right? And so it's born out of a very particular experience uh, in my life. But I, I, I think, as you say, relatable to other people in, in different ways um, outside of that, too. Yeah. And that's the, the joy of the genre, I think. Yeah, it, uh, it explained to me what, what um, I was feeling at that particular moment without me even understanding what it meant. You know what I mean? Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, um, I, I get a sense as I'm reading Strangers um, of the solitary. I mean, you're essentially alone when you're writing about stuff, and even if you're writing about a moment with people around you, it might be later on, uh, you know, after, yeah. and and you have a moment yourself, and, and uh, you're recounting it, if you will. Um, what is it like now to talk about the work when, when it's largely been a solitary experience? It is always um, disorienting. This is my fourth book, so I'm getting a little more... Uh, used to it, but when you, the promotional mode of a, any writer, I think perhaps especially a poet, uh, is so wildly different from the mode of creation. Um, and I know many writers who just, they don't write for maybe a year after a book comes out. Mm. And uh, the one upside of not really touring and not really promoting as much because of the pandemic, I think, is that hopefully that time period will be shorter. Um, but it is it is disorienting. Um, 
but I also feel like it's an important thing to do to honor the person that I was when I wrote the poems and to honor the poems themselves is to give them a, you know, is to get them out there and get them in people's hands because, you know, I don't, I do write them for my own self-discovery. That's absolutely true. And if nobody read them, they would still be of great value, but, mm. but they are being, uh, they are being produced so that that connection I'm talking about between two people with a page as the intermediary, the, um, they're being made so that that can happen, and I want to give those a chance. So you do have to put on a bit of a huckster's hat and uh, <laughs> and do do some events that aren't necessarily uh, exactly what you would want to be doing with your time. But um, but I'm always glad to do it in the end. Yeah, there's also um, uh, less people listening to think that this is it's just about death. There's there's injury too. There's a, there's a fair amount of blood. <laughs> uh, there's mice. A, lo- a lot of mice sometimes. <laughs> Um, what, what, the, the, um, so some of those poems I thought, you know, I didn't find, um, uncomfortable, if you will. I mean, I don't really, <laughs> I don't want to, to, uh, think about injury, if you will, but, um, uh, to, to have to recount it as you do, um, does the pain of it go away, perhaps? Um, yeah, I mean... The, the main moments of injury that are explored are near the beginning of the book when I'm writing about uh, my mother, and it was actually really uh, necessary for me to go to those places because, as I said, my father died when I was 11, and uh, and it became fairly easy. I mean, I didn't write about him for a long time because I was young, but once I started writing in my early 20s, he was a natural subject, obviously. His, death, his life and his death had profoundly shaped me, and I also had some distance from it at that point to write about it. And after my first book came out, I realized I'd written almost nothing about my mother, who, uh, you know, unlike my father, uh, not not his fault or anything, but unlike my father, had been there the whole time, right next mm-hmm. to right beside me. And I, but I couldn't figure out how to create that distance, you know, artificially, to see her as a person outside of myself, outside of my immediate life, because she she was and is so close to me. And so when I happened upon, well, let's write about. <coughs> these moments where she accidentally injured me or something went wrong and there was there was pain and calamity mm-hmm. that was much safer than the pain and calamity of my father's death but still was a disruption that I could laugh about or look at with some distance and so I started writing these poems about the time she slammed my head in a, a car trunk door you know in the car trunk the time that she uh, that she smashed my head on a on a door frame when she was running me to the, my dad to the hospital one day you know these kinds of things um, just as a way to find an angle, I could look at her from with with a little bit of distance. And uh, to me, they're all very loving poems, as much as they have something horrible yeah. happen in the middle of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was really going through that somewhat artificial pro- process of saying, "I'm going to sit down and look at these moments of accidental violence," um, that really let me, you know, start the process that I think anyone goes through from going from childhood into adulthood into middle age of seeing their parents differently. And seeing them as hu- as humans and not just as caregivers, you know, yeah. and as fully rounded, uh, independent people, and that kind of started that process. And then it, it enabled a lot of the writing that followed in the book. I think where I was able to talk about and look at my mother and, and parental relationships in a different way. The other feeling I got, Rob, as I was reading the book, was uh, it, it, it's not just when you talk about the outdoors and, and we, we get a sense of how small we are against what's outside. I mean, that applies to, you know, feelings we have when we're alone um, uh, with regards to other people as well. I mean, we, we realize uh, um, that um, 
the world around us, life itself, is, is, is bigger than we are, and, and we're just trying to get through it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, there, there might be a question there. Or it's just a statement on my part. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I'm glad you, you saw that uh, in the book. It, it's certainly looking at those, uh, those boundaries and how we can lean on each other or can't lean on each other to get through these kinds of things. But, uh, yeah, I'm not... Yeah, I just I I just felt that that um, I don't know. Going back to that line I, I quoted earlier, that um, you're giving voice, I guess, to these things that I I felt or I I am feeling that that I hadn't thought about before. Um, you list at the back of the book um, a number of people that I guess you bounce things off of that you 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 get feedback mm-hmm. from friends of yours, colleagues of yours. Um, I was curious to know when they return a, a, a piece of poetry back to you with, with some feedback. Does that change um, what you've written at all? It, I mean, it, in terms of my approach of how to edit it, yeah. yeah. Usually, I mean, I uh, I teach creative writing, and I always uh, tell my students who get workshop feedback from other students who are fairly new at the craft themselves that. When someone tells you there's something wrong in a poem, they're almost always right. And when they tell you what it is and how to fix it, they're almost always wrong. You know, so I, I like to think of the feedback you get from other writers as kind of warning flares of problem areas. <laughs> but a poem, you know, as we've been talking about, I think is so complicated and so tied up in a personal uh, reaction that a reader might have to it that you can't run around chasing every every editorial suggestion and, and making it exactly. You just kind of, you have to accumulate them and think about where are the soft spots, where are the places people are, you know, going totally off the rails in their reading of it, and, uh, and then finding your own solutions to those problems. So it's mostly that. It's mostly a sounding board of where a poem is really resonating and hitting for somebody and where it's, where it's not, and then trying to figure out your own way to, to address that as best you can. So how do you know when a poem's done? Oh, I say it's when the, your editor says that you can't send in any more drafts, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, realistically, some click into place a little more than others, but um, but at the end of the day, no, I still, you know, I'm, I'm wondering and worrying over this editor that edited in the final book that I, that I couldn't do anymore because I had to let it go to press. I think that'll always happen. I, I saw something on Twitter the other day that, that um, even just as Tennessee Williams was dying, um, he was rewriting plays 20, 30 years after the fact. Yeah. And um, I'm not a writer, um, I, but, but at the same time, I can imagine what that's like. I mean, I, I you know, over 17 years of interviewing people, I, I, um, I don't have this feeling often, which is, is pretty good. Otherwise, I'd get obsessed over it. But, I mean, there are certain questions that one would want to ask. You know, I'm sure when I hang up the phone with you in a few minutes, um, 10, 15, half an hour later, I might think of, of something that I should have asked you. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think uh, that thing I was talking about when you're receiving uh, critiques from others, they, mm-hmm. they, they might know what the problem is, but they're not going to know what the solution is. I think that that's right. to another extent, that's also true for the writer, right? Yeah. You can always criticize or find faults at a level that's higher than your capacity to address it. Um, so... That's the struggle you're always dealing with is as you get better as a writer, you can see more problems. You haven't quite figured out how to address them yet, um, but you want to address them, so you keep fiddling and fiddling. And in that process, you progress as a writer, but it's uh, aggravating if you completely open your mind to it because you'll never stop tinkering with anything. You know? yeah. I, 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 I'm interested to know about craft. Um, are you a fast writer? 
I guess it's all relative. Um, I I don't spend ten years to write a first draft or something, as yeah. some writers will say they do. Uh, I will write a first draft usually within one day, or you know maybe at most a couple days. Um, and I write longhand, so in that sense, I'm not all that fast. Um, and then I rewrite all every subsequent draft for the first for a poem for the first five or six longhand. So it so it happens that forces me to slow down a bit, you know. Um, so I would say I'm 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 not that fast. It will take me a long time, a long time, months usually, to get to a final version of a poem. But but I will try to make sure that whatever is the central spark that feels vital and alive and important in the poem, you know, I'm going to try to get there within the first you know day of editing or maybe two. And if that doesn't happen, then I, especially right now with, with the way my life is right now with the with two kids under five. Uh-huh. Um, if I can't get something on paper relatively quick that I know I can return to and do all that fiddling stuff later with, um, if I can't get that down fairly quickly, then it's on to the next thing. So you mentioned you write longhand. Uh, is there a particular uh, kind of paper that you use or, or pen even? Oh, no, I'm not too fixed on that. I write on little notebooks that I can fit in a back pocket because I, I, I write outside a lot these days. Uh-huh. Um, so kind of those neat five-star little square journal kind of things. And then with a pen, just as long as it flows fairly easily and I'm not having to scratch away at the paper uh, and, and not think about it, I'm not too picky beyond that. Do, do you get the uh, feelings of the, or the, the, the? Do you run into the situations that we do, where we uh, intend to write something down, and then by the time we get to the pen and the paper, we forget what it was that was in our head? Yes, I I, uh, I wrote a little haiku recently. I, can't, I think it was something like uh, uh, "Too cold to write down the poem about clouds keeps changing," um, and that idea that. Uh, Keeping something off the page can actually be very interesting and generative as you let it bounce around in your head for a long mm. time. And uh, sometimes it'll drift away entirely, but that's probably a sign that the thing was going to drift away entirely anyway. Um, and, and instead, because that's how I do a lot of my writing actually right now, is I think of an idea, I'm busy with the kids, I'm running around after something. Uh-huh. And if it's still somehow in my head an hour later, it's a different idea, yeah. but it's probably richer for having bounced around. And uh, and then I'm and then I get a chance to write it down and and I'm actually really appreciative of that process which I probably wouldn't have engaged in before I had kids I would have just written it down right away and tried to keep it in whatever form it was in that first moment. So what is it like then to take something that you've written down on a piece of paper, say, and then um, uh, have it formatted as we see it in in the, in the book Strangers um, the way it is? I mean, so some of the things are. are uh, they touch the margins. Some of them have um, uh, lines in between the, the the lines itself, or space between the lines themselves. Um, some of the words might be italicized. Um, are those things that you, you're thinking about as you're writing, or do they come later on in the editing process? Uh, I, some of them you'll think I'll think about in the moment of writing. They'll be kind of essential to the idea that's as it's coming to be. Sometimes a shape comes alongside the idea or maybe even slightly before some of the idea um, and in those cases I'll usually keep it but a lot of the time you have yeah um, a mystery blob that you have to find the right uh, shape for and that's a really pleasurable part of the experience too because of course form uh, communicates so much can, can communicate so much to uh, connect to the meaning so uh, yeah there's a there's a bunch of different shapes in the book and uh, and they are for different kind of modes of speaking. There's one poem that's a, a rapid conversation between me and my mother, and we're talking over each other and not quite listening to each other, mostly me not listening to her. 
And, uh, and so that's a prose poem where, you know, I don't have the line breaks and I don't have mm-hmm. all those pauses that a poem would have in it for, for that effect, right? And then there's, there's others that, that are the shape of a sonnet to evoke things from the history of a sonnet and all those kinds of things. And, and again, some of that will come uh, as I'm writing the poem. It feels obvious that it has to be in that shape, and then others it'll be a, a happy discovery uh, along the way. So if one goes to your website, um, they can uh, uh, see, uh, read the tra- transcripts, I guess is, is the best word, uh, of these various interviews you've done over the years with, with uh, poets, mm-hmm. with writers. Um, I, I meant to count before we started how many there are on there, on, on your website. Oh, they're not all up there yet, but there's, I've done about 80, 85, somewhere in that ballpark right now. Yeah, no, nowhere near what you've pulled off. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I was reading some of them, and it's just fascinating to to well, first of all, to see the transcript because I don't have transcripts. Of, I mean, I have some that are, that were made that are in a drawer somewhere that maybe I would, will post one day. But but they were more for myself. Um, how did for first of all, how did you conduct those interviews? Were they in person or were they over the phone? How, how were they Most done? Most of mine are done in writing, so they oh I see. So Email? they start in that state. Um, I did a book of. I edited a book of conversations between poets um, called What the Poets Are Doing that came out a few years ago, and there's actually a couple discussions within that about poets' preferences for in-person versus written versus all these different, you know, in-between options that you have for how to get uh, to compose an interview. And most of the poets definitely fell towards the, uh, the side of, we want time to think about, just like with the poems, we want time mm. to think about what we're going to say and tinker with it and get it just right. Um, but then, but then the uh, the loss of that live voice and and the improvised quick response and all that was a a problem. So by the end of the book, there were poets who were experimenting with each mode just to see what would happen, and it was a, a very interesting experience for me as an editor to read through all of that. Um, but yeah, most of mine are done in writing. Some of them have been have been recorded and then and then transcriptions were written out, and that was usually for people who didn't want to uh, spend a bunch of time on the computer writing it. Um, yeah, those are, but, but most of them are, are written, which is a, a laborious process. I think it makes it go a little slower. Like I would probably have interviewed more people had I uh-huh, not done uh-huh. it this way. Yeah. But, um, and sometimes it results in answers that are far too overthought and <laughs> lifeless. But a lot of the time it allows writers to go places that they just wouldn't be able to go uh, in the spur of the moment. You know, they, they pursue a line of thought a little more deeply than they would have otherwise. So I, I have mixed feelings about it. Um, uh, in terms of the positives and negatives of it, but um, but I'm pretty happy with a lot of the interviews that have resulted from it. Yeah, I, I re- read a couple the other night as I was preparing for a chat, and and just out of interest because I you know I've interviewed some of these people over the years, mm-hmm. and it's fascinating to see uh, how another person approaches a person that that I, I've, I've experienced you know that I've had the experience of interviewing, yeah. and um, seeing say your process. And um, you'd be getting essentially some of the same stuff, if you will, but but um, it's sort of like a, a map, you know. Um, get, getting to a place is, is um, you know, one can do it one way or another way, right? Yeah. And um, so, so sometimes the, the diversions I found just fun. I mean, <laughs> they're things that I never would have thought of. And, and so um, I, I, I guess I know the answer to this question. I mean, doing that over the years, I mean, that, that you obviously learned something from the, these poets. How much of that do you think um, rubbed off on you, or, or perhaps uh, was an influence of you, uh, influence on you, uh, one way or the other? Say. Oh yeah, it's had a huge impact. I mean, obviously, for a lot of them, I'm interviewing people who I already 
liked their writing. Uh-huh. Uh, but then to go back to it all, especially if it's a writer who's been a you know who's you know maybe seven or eight or nine books into their writing life, to read back through everything and to read some of their critical writing and try to connect up all those pieces, you know, um, uh, it just it opens up little you know little parts of your brain that aren't usually as active if you just casually read one book or another really get ignited. And you can see not just what they're doing in individual poems or individual stories or whatever it might be, but over the arc of all, of everything and how a writer can change from book to book and, and, and grow and deepen their engagement with the craft. Uh, all of that has been hugely impactful for me. And also just life-affirming, you know, as a writer myself, to, uh, to, to see people who go through these larger journeys and the incredible work that they can come up with at, at, at the end of that process uh, does inspire you to keep going when you're feeling less than inspired at any given moment in your life. Yeah. Um, you teach full-time? No, I teach part-time. Um, I see. Yeah, I'm still uh, still kind of new to the teaching game. I've been teaching for about five years, and I'm trying to trying to get my foot in the door a little bit. And, yeah. uh, but I, I, uh, I teach poetry online through Simon Fraser University, and, uh, and I love that. It's continuing education. And uh, so a lot of the students are are older and all of the students are coming because they're just so enthralled with writing of one form or another so it's they're just such a lovely groups of people to work with all the time yeah it must be good to, to, to work with people who want to be there if you will mm-hmm, exactly it's yeah. kind of the, the other end I read <coughs> I read these uh, writers who have worked for years and years and years to establish their craft and then I and then I get to work with students who have the same kind of enthusiasm the same kind of love for the art um, but are just starting out um, as writers and and help propel them on the way uh, towards that uh, that that end goal that I've seen for so many other writers um, in the interviews. Well, what's next for you, Rob? Oh, I, I'm you know putzing around on some poems. I've got a book of short stories I'm finishing up, uh, an anthology I'm editing. I always have a few mm-hmm. things on the go. I found that extra important since I've had the kids. It's just always like I'm not always going to be able to extended periods of creative time mm-hmm. uh, to, to write my own thing so I always have some kind of an editing project going and uh, and uh, a couple genres on the go so that whatever it is that I might be um, feeling inspired to write there's a pl- there's a space for that so I was uh, in, uh, on the on the copyright page of, of, of strangers um, your uh, the year you were born um, is there yeah. And so I was delighted to find out that you're uh, I'm just about a year older than you. So we're about the same age. We are what are what are they calling us now? Geriatric millennials. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Um and there's a the line in in I guess it's the last poem of the near the end of the book uh where uh, you mentioned that that people uh sound older on the phone. Yeah. And I guess uh, for people listening to us um uh, we 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 uh that's not age. That's just wisdom. I think <laughs> that's just our wisdom coming through on the voice, but not necessarily on the face. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've, I've been delighted to talk to you. You're someone whose work I've admired over the years, and and um, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Congratulations on this book, Robin. Good luck with it. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I appreciate it a great deal that you've been reading my stuff and that you're interested in, in talking to me today. It means a lot to me. The book is called Strangers. It's published by Biblioasis. Visit uh, Rob's website at roblucastaylor.com. Rob Taylor, join me on the line from Port Moody in Vancouver. I'm Joseph Plunder.